0: Good morning, everyone. Thanks for joining us today for the webinar on our Field Songs Project and the importance of Syrian Farmers Cultural Heritage for Sustainable Development in the Middle East. I'm so sorry for the wait. I hope I hope we haven't kept you waiting for too long. We're being hosted today by the Council for British Research in the Levant, to whom we're very grateful. My name is Anne Zons. I'm a British Academy Postdoctoral Fellow at the University of Edinburgh and I'm the co-investigator of the Field Songs Project. In the first hour, you will hear from members of our project team about the conceptual underpinnings of the field songs project and about some of the outcomes and implications for policy. In a nutshell, the field songs project was a one year project between the University of Edinburgh's One Health Field Network and two Syrian run organizations based in Gaziantep, Turkey, and it's funded by the UKRI Arts and Humanities Research Council. As I said, in the second hour, we will open up the floor to your questions and comments, so please stay tuned. Before we dive right in, we would like to welcome you all in the name of the project's partners in the project. That is the One Health Field Network, Syrian Academic Expertise and Duzan Art and Culture. And I will first call on Professor Lisa Bowden from the University of Edinburgh. Professor Bowden is an expert on veterinary public health. She holds the Chair of Population Medicine and Veterinary Public Health Policy at Edinburgh's Global Academy of Agriculture and Food Systems. She is also the founder of the One Health Field Network and the principal investigator of the Field Songs project. So, Lisa, the floor is yours. Thanks, Anne. Um, I'll just uh, share
1: my screen um, and just bring up a couple of slides. Uh, just let me know if you can see them properly. Content? Okay. Um, What I'd like to say, uh, just to start, um, is uh, to thank everybody for attending this webinar um, and to welcome you uh, to the project Um, and just uh, introduce, if you like, um, something about the One Health Field Network, um, as Anne said, which was established in uh, 2019. I think just very briefly, um, it's important to start with the idea of thinking about food security um, as an all-encompassing One Health uh, issue. Um, We're thinking about food security as underpinning human health through human nutrition, animal health through animal agricultural practices, and uh, and, uh, planetary health and One Health through the impacts that food production has on the environment and also society. And in particular, our focus in this um, in this network is really about food security in fragile conflict-affected states where food security is particularly risky and precarious. So this One Health Field network um, uh, has an aim really of bringing together uh, diverse multidisciplinary expertise to increase food system resilience in both um, short and long-term uh, sustainable development in fragile and complex settings. Um, and as well as recognizing the importance of transdisciplinary work The aim of our project is really about uh, trying to build on past and current experiences of food security to help build a sustainable uh, local uh, uh, um, uh, food future that's really specific to the affected region. So this One Health Field Network is seeking to mobilise knowledge within both a a local and global network of researchers, practitioners and decision makers to make successful transmission away from humanitarian provision of short-term food supplies and agricultural inputs into long-term contingency planning. Um, And so this field network project really, um, if you're looking at this slide, is really emphasizing um, the importance really of tangible cultural heritage as an important first step um, in order to reconnect uh, academics who happen to be in exile into decision-making pathways. So um, I'm going to pause there and just um, acknowledge, too, how grateful that we are in order to partner with uh, the Design Arts and Culture, uh, the Syrian Academic Expertise Group, and, of course, the different um, partners within um, the University of Edinburgh, and acknowledge the many uh, voices that are part of our network. There's probably more than 40 or 50-odd people who are involved, who are working together as part of this uh, broader, um, broader work. Okay, and I'll stop sharing there um, and point you to our, uh, our website. I'll come back to that at the end of this session.
0: Thank you very much, Lisa. So I would like, next like to call on Dr. Shaha Abdelatif, the head of Syrian Academic Expertise, which is a network of Syrian experts and academics based in Turkey. Dr. Abdelatif holds a PhD in hydroponics and biotechnology from Humboldt University in Berlin. And since 2015, he has worked in Turkey and Northern and Syria on issues related to food security and higher education. And so Taha is going to welcome you in the name of Syrian academic
2: expertise now. I have the floor with uh, you.
3: Anne.
4: رحب بالحضور أعرف عن منظمة الخبرات الأكاديمية هي مجموعة أو خلينا نقول شبكة من الخبراء السوريين والأكاديميين الموجودين في سوريا وفي خارج سوريا بدأت التعاون, بدأت التعاون مع جامعة أديمبرا ومنظمة كارا سوريا منذ تقريباً 2019-2018 كان بداية هدف التأسيس المنظمة هو الدراسات البحثية والأكاديمية في مجال أيضاً بناء القدرات وتطوير قدرات من خلال التدريبات العلمية والعملية بالإضافة إلى الأبحاث المشاريع التنمية من أبرز المشاريع التي بدأ بدأنا بالتعاون مع جامعة أتلنبرغ كان في عام 2019 تقريباً كان في هناك مشروع حول الأعمال الزراعية في دول الجوار أو التي لجأ إليها اللاجئين السوريين. في كل من لبنان وسوريا and والأردن. أيضا and the ل... لدينا We also مختلفة. بدأت lot الأكاديميين السوريين and أبحاثنا. في بحث الحقول الزراعية أو التي بدأنا به مع جامعة ديمبرا كان عن طريق الزيارات الميدانية للمزارعين كوننا شبكة من المزارعين للتواصل معهم قمنا بالزيارات الميدانية تناقشنا حول الخبرة الزراعية التي قام بها المزارع بنقلها إلى تركيا من ثم بدأ العمل بهذا المشروع وقمنا بالانتهاء منه أيضا من بعض المشاريع التي قامت بها منظمة الخبرات كان لدينا مشروع التنمية المستدامة وهو مفهوم جديد عبارة عن مشروع للتعافي المبكر من خلال الحدائق المدرسية والحدائق المنزلية تم التعاون في هذا المشروع مع منظمة مالتيزر لدينا أيضا مشروع كان مع جامعة الساسيكس وهو عبارة عن مدونة بودكاست عبارة عن مدونة أصوات زراعية قام الخبراء السوريين بموضوعات زراعية قدم الخبراء السوريين موضوعات زراعية مختلفة إرشادية حول الخدمات الزراعية والتوصيات العلمية والعملية لتطوير القطاع الزراعي وتعزيز الأمن الغذائي والتنمية المستدامة بالإضافة حالياً لدينا المشروع الحالي وهو البناء قدرات النشطاء المدنيين وذلك لتحقيق تنمية المجتمع وبناء السلام هذا ابرز المواضيع والابحاث والنشاطات اللي قامت المنظمة بها يمكنكم الاطلاع طبعا عن طريق موقعنا على الدراسات البحثيه للمنظمه ومواقع التواصل الاجتماعي ايضا شكرا انا
2: انتقل اليك
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Esra. Finally, we have with us this morning Mr. Rami Mahabe, the founder and director of Duzan Art and Culture. Since 2019, he has turned Duzan into a helpful cultural activities for Syrian refugees in Gaziantep. And Mr. Mahabe has a lot of experience working on cultural projects all over the Middle East, including in countries such as Syria, Jordan, Lebanon, and Turkey. So, Rami, the floor is yours. Thanks, Anne.
5: hello, everybody, Anne. Um... Thanks for being with us today. Uh, I will like introduce uh, Duzan Art and Culture, uh, which is a Syrian cultural organization uh, has been launched in Turkey in 2019 uh, to enable Syrians to build their contemporary cultural identity uh, through preserving cultural memory, providing spaces for, for interaction, and building capacities for youth, and also enhancing. Solidarity and cooperation to build a Syria cultural future uh, between the heritage and moder- uh, modernity. So, we work in uh, Duzan Atom culture on, uh, based on three keywords uh, uh, documenting, interacting, and empowering. empowering. Uh, we document the Syrian art history and intangible cultural heritage. Uh, not just in the aim to document and archive uh, using digital archives, actually, uh, but also to use this archive uh,
2: to to provide opportunity for Syrian communities over the world. In, uh, sorry, uh, to interact with their uh, to
5: providing Syrian community uh, communities over the world to interact with their uh, history, their uh, memories uh, through these archives and also to interact with uh, each o- others. Uh, and also <clears throat> empowering youth uh, in the field of art and culture uh, by providing them with uh, contemporary tools, artistic tools, and also uh, transferring the knowledge of the heritage and uh, the history uh, to new, uh, new generation. So uh, we have uh, three or four main uh, programs, uh, each program uh, focusing on different uh, type of art. Uh, the Field Songs Project, it's uh, one of the projects under NOTA program, which is focusing on uh, Syrian music uh, and uh, folklore dances in Syria. Uh, Thank you so much.
0: Thank you very much, Rami. And so now, since now you've met us all in the next 40 minutes or so, we will give you a taste of from our field project and we will start by playing you an extract from the documentary movie that we prepared as part of this project. I'll play you the documentary in a a part of the documentary in a second, if you want to watch it in full, you can also access it via the link that our research assistant Martine has posted in the chat so the documentary is available for free online on our website. After the short extract from the documentary we will then discuss some of the aspects of the field songs project i will um start by talking a little bit about the ethnographic research methods and the ethical considerations that went into realizing the project so how were the data for this project collected i will then pass the mic to dr shaha Latif who will give you an overview of the importance of agriculture for syrians before and after 2011. Rami Mahaba will zoom in on the on the issue of cultural heritage during conflict and displacement. And finally, Professor Bowden will bring all these different strands of the field zones project together under that is agriculture and cultural heritage um, within a one health framework. So I'll start you off now and we'll just show you a couple of minutes from the documentary that was produced as part of this project.
2: حمل العديد من السوريين بذور النباتات المفضلة لديهم ومعرفتهم الزراعية
0: معهم عندما اضطروا إلى مغادرة وطنهم بعد عام 2011 ولا يزال التراث الزراعي غير المادي للسوريين واضحاً لليوم في عادات اللاجئين حول الطهي والأكل والأزياء والقصص والأغاني
4: تلقط قطب حي
3: انطتنا وكل قطب انطتنا او غير الضحك واللي عيب يا زين معطوتنا او لما نخلص الحساد راح توخى
0: هل تتوقع ام لا بتعرف ان تتوقع ان كنا ان تتوقع ان تتوقع ان تتوقع ان تتوقع ان تتوقع
1: يعني على ان تتوقع ان تتوقع ان تتوقع ان تتوقع ان تتوقع ان تتوقع ان تتوقع ان تتوقع ان تتوقع ان تتوقع ان
4: تتوقع ان ينزل ان تتوقع ان تتوقع
1: ان تتوقع ان
0: تتوقع ان تتوقع ان الزمر. لا I hope this short snippet from the documentary has um got you interested and curious about it. Again, if you would like to watch the complete movie, you can access it for free via our websites. The links are in the chat. I'll just share my screen again with, to bring up my slides and I'll talk a bit more about um, how the data for the project was collected. Um, so, um, the reason why we wanted to start with a short extract from the documentary is that it um this very short snippet h- highlights the rich and varied forms that Syrian farmers' agricultural heritage can take. In the short extract, you heard stories, you also heard about songs, you heard about embodied memories, the memory of the lady who had who climbed up the palm trees when she was just a little girl. That was the kind of um, that was the kind of data that we collected but we also of course looked at material objects some Syrian refugees brought objects to Turkey for example traditional dresses that they had made at home we also looked a lot at pictures on people's phones and I wanted to start with this because it highlights the importance of a multimedia and a multi-sensory approach to really capture the richness the wealth of Syrian farmers still existing cultural heritage and as the ethnographer on the team, I wanted to talk a little bit about the ethnographic fieldwork, that is how we met these farmers who are portrayed in the documentary. Um, And who will be portrayed in the seminar, and that was ethnographic field work, not just in the academic term, the way in the academic sense, the way that anthropologists often say they do field work, but it was also field work in a very literal sense. Because they spend a lot of time going to the fields going to orchards going to agricultural work sites to meet with Syrian farmers all over Turkey. So. But I'll just try to move my slide forward, So just to give you a sense of what we did for the field songs project. The field songs project was a one year project in 2022, with a number of research activities all over Turkey to capture The ongoing meaning and relevance of agricultural heritage for displaced Syrian farmers, we conducted two two day workshops with each time around 20 Syrian farmers in Gaziantep in the south of Turkey, once in spring and once in summer 2022. In addition, we also conducted two weeks of ethnographic fieldwork with the Syrian farmers twice again once in spring and once in summer 2022 and this ethnographic fieldwork proper took us to agricultural work sites all over Turkey, so you can see. locations on the black coast in trabzon and rize in western turkey in adana in central turkey in anatolia in Nide, all the way to Gaziantep, trabzonliova and then locations very close to the syrian border in the south in in islahiye and rehanli um, in addition, and these the way you have to imagine these this ethnographic fieldwork it, that, is that it really consisted in field visits, where we would go visit farmers for a day, we would conduct interviews, visit their work sites, also meet their families, visit their homes, and get a better sense of what it means to be a Syrian farmer in Turkey today. In addition to that, as a team, we also conducted key stakeholder interviews um, with local and international policymakers and humanitarian actors, including members of the municipality of Adana, which is very, which is very active in supporting Syrian farming activities, but also, for example, the WFP Gazantep food security cluster coordinator. And finally, and you've already seen the outcome of this, we were accompanied by a Syrian film crew, especially during the second round of field visits and workshops. And the Syrian filmmaker came with us to the workshop in Gaziantep and then also to different field sites in the south of Turkey in Şanlıurfa, De and İslahiye. Now, who are the participants in this research? It was really important for us to go beyond stereotypes of Syrian refugees as as exploitative, as exploitative refugee labor. Of course, there are Syrians working under very precarious conditions in Turkish agriculture today. But it was important for us to portray the wide spectrum of Syrian farming activities in the host country. So the research included people living as day laborers, um, sometimes literally living in tent settlements. Um, all the way up to very successful and affluent Syrian business owners and Syrian agricultural engineers working in in high-tech agricultural labs also run by Syrians. So something that's very important to us and that you will hopefully also see in the documentary is that there is not just one profile of Syrian refugee working in agriculture in Turkey today, actually there is a variety of profiles. It was very important to us to also include Syrian women. Um, One thing you might already know is that Syrian women have always played a central role in Syrian agriculture, working on the fields, but also providing much needed labor at home. And it was very important to us to portray these women and again, show the different roles that they can take on in agriculture, be it as workers on the fields, but also for example, as home-based producers, as entrepreneurs running catering businesses and so on. That also meant that, especially when it came to filming the documentary, that we had to negotiate boundaries and be careful to respect cultured and gendered sensitivity. So, for example, in the documentary, you will notice that often female interviewees are not portrayed from the front. If they did not, if they did not consent, you would not see their faces, but instead you would see um, you would, we would have a zoom in on their hands working. So in addition to this wide spectrum of Syrian farmers, we also sought to portray diverse agricultural economies. As I'm sure you all know, Turkey is a huge country. It's home to a multiple different agricultural economies with different types of products. So, for example, we visited Syrian farmers working with roses, with different types of vegetables, with wheat, with tea, for example, in the seed. we visited Syrian beekeepers. Um, People working in dairy and cheese production and so on, and it was important for us to showcase in the research and also in the documentary that Syrian farmers have found a place for themselves have carved out places for themselves in all these different. agricultural economies and on different stages of the agricultural supply chain as workers, but also as intermediaries as business owners and increasingly also as traders. What you will hopefully also see in the documentary is that Syrian farmers in Turkey live in a diverse set of living and working situations. As I said, this goes all the way from people working, residing in informal tent settlements on agricultural grounds, to people living and working in the city of Gaziantep, but still being involved in forms of urban gardening and urban forms of food production. So that's just to give you, get you a little bit curious about the kind of people that you can encounter in this research and get you interested in the diverse situations that we found during fieldwork. And I just wanted to end by sharing some insights from the field. And by the way, what you can see on the left is a a typical traditional Syrian meal that was prepared for us by one of the families In our in our research, who now lives in the city of Gaziantep, um, but is traditionally from but originally comes from tatmur from Palmyra, um, where they used to work in farming, and this is one of the families that has brought an amazing amount of knowledge and practices to their new living situation in a big Turkish city. So here are some of the main insights from the field. The one thing, and I'm sure that Rami will talk about this a bit more, is that there is not one homogeneous agricultural heritage. On the contrary, what we realized through the workshops and through the field visits is that there were huge regional differences when it comes to agricultural practice before 2011. So, in the workshop and in the field visits, we encountered Syrian farmers who are originally from Aleppo, from Daraa, from Homs, um, from uh, Tadmor, from Palmyra, and so on. And we noted and we realized very soon that um, people from different regions brought different practices um and even sometimes brought different types of vocabulary so especially in the workshops one thing we found is that sometimes Syrian farmers from different regions would have to translate specialist vocabulary to each other that was a really important insight for us and it also highlighted to us that having these kind of workshops and this kind of research on cultural heritage now means that you can create new opportunities for bringing these Syrian farmers together, who before 2011 might have had very different, very, very little contact. We also understood our research activities as an opportunity for knowledge exchange in the sense that many Syrian farmers were now in their middle age complained about the about the generational disconnect so in many cases people who are now in their 40s and 50s and 60s had li- had worked and lived in agriculture for most of their adult lives but their children now live in turkey they often live in big cities they go to turkish schools and sometimes university and they know often very little about their parents agricultural lifestyles so these workshops were also an opportunity for us and for the participants to start new conversations within their own families um, and to start bringing bridging bridging the gap between those with lived experience of agriculture in Syria and the next generation of Syrians in Turkey they said we also realized during the research that when you seek to document heritage um, you also start documenting loss so this is something that you might see in the documentary as well as that often um, Syrian farmers would start singing a song or they would start talking about a practice um, and then they would just not remember And in fact, the workshops in particular also highlighted the issue of faulty memory and forgetting and the need to talk to even older Syrians. So in many cases, participants in the research who are themselves in the middle of their lives, who are themselves in their 40s and 50s, told us that we should actually be talking to their parents' generation, who are now in their 70s and 80s, but who were often left behind in Syria. And I think this is exactly what we're going to do for one of our next projects is to do WhatsApp interviews with an even older generation of Syrians inside the country, because we realized um, that if you want to get through to these older forms of heritage, um, then you have to talk to not just one generation of farmers, but multiple generations of farmers. Heritage, as I hope you will find in the documentary, is important not just as a bridge to the past. This cultural heritage that you will find documented through our research and in a documentary is about a sense of shared identity. It's about community, a sense of belonging, and about social cohesion. It is about what people brought from Syria. But importantly, this is relevant to people, to the people included in this research, not just because it allows them to think back, but also because it allows them to to think ahead and to plan for the future. And one of the main insights from the project perhaps is that Syrian refugees in Turkey actively keep this heritage alive because they think that they will be able to benefit from it one day when they return to Syria and rebuild their home country. And on a final note, and as an anthropologist, I just wanted to highlight that we don't have a romanticized understanding of heritage in the sense that we consider it something stable or unified On the contrary, what the research brought out is that heritage can be contentious and that sometimes people do not agree what their heritage should be and who should represent it. But these kind of discussions, these ongoing discussions in the Syrian community in Turkey about what represents heritage, who gets to speak for Syrian heritage. These discussions are really important because they show that their cultural heritage is still a living thing. And I think I'll leave it here. And I'll just pass the word to Shahab Yassif, who will give us a bit of more of a sense of um, Syrian agricultural as an economy in Syria before and after 2011. Shahab, the floor is yours now. Uh,
2: shukran, An. I'm a member the of
3: نعم إذا لمعرفت أهمية التراث الزراعي ومدى غناه، سوف أقدم على مجال دور السوريين بشكل عام في القطاع الزراعي قبل 2011 قبل بداية الصراع وأثناءه أو حتى الآن كان السوريين دور كبير في القطاع الزراعي قبل عام 2011 ومن الجدير ذكره بأن سوريا كانت تعتبر من البلدان المتطورة نسبياً فيما يتعلق بالإنتاج الزراعي وقطاع الأمن الغذائي مقارنة مع دول الجوار في الشرق الأوسط وعلى سبيل المثال كانت تعتبر من الدول التي حققت الاكتفاء الذاتي ولا سيما فيما يتعلق بانتاج المحاصيل الرئيسيه القمح والشعير حيث بلغ انتاج القمح اكثر من 4 مليون طن يعني علينا ان نتصور هذا الرقم الكبير قبل الصراع وحيث كان السوره تعتبر مصدر لهذا المحصول الغذائي المهم أيضا تتميز بإنتاج عالي من المحاصيل الزراعية واستخدام الأراضي الزراعية من خلال تقنيات تعتبر نسبيا حديثة في المنطقة وأيضا فيما يتعلق بإدارة الإنتاج وما إلى ذلك أيضا السوريين كمزارعين و من المعروف جدا هو ذهابهم أو سفرهم لدول الجوار ولاسيما لبنان ولا الخليج الأردن للعمل في القطاع الزراعي وبالتالي اكتساب خبرات جديدة ونقل الخبرات التي يتعلموها من خلال التعاقب الأجيال الأجيال من الآباء و الأجداد إذا كل هذا يعطينا فكرة عن المدى الذي كان وصل إليه الخبرة الزراعية والمهارات الزراعية والتراث الزراعي للسوريين قبل بداية الأحداث لفهم أكثر للتغيرات التي حدثت بعد عام 2011 فإنه من المؤسف أن السوريين لم يتعرضوا فقط لعوامل طبيعية كتغير المناخ الذي يشهده العالم اجمع بما فيه من ارتفاع لدرجات الحراره وموجات الجفاف والافات الامراض وايضا ازاله الغابات وما الى ذلك من المخاطر البيئيه او المتعلقه في المناخ لكن ايضا تعرضوا او يتعرضون من عام 2011 الى عوامل أخرى تتعلق بالهجرة والنزوح وضعف الحوكمة ضعف الوصول للمدخلات الانتاج الزراعي وبشكل عام تراجع البحث العلمي والتعليم وغياب لسياسات حماية التنوع الحيوي وما إلى آخره أي أننا في هذا الحالة نواجه يعني عوامل بيئية وعوامل غير بيئية تؤثر بشكل كبير أو أثرت بشكل كبير على الإنتاج الزراعي والأمن الغذائي في سوريا والسوريين بشكل عام الآن عن دور السوريين بشكل عام بعد عام 2011 بالتأكيد بأن السنوات الصراع الطويلة والبزوح الذي أدى إلى أكثر من خمسة مليون نازح في دول الجوار معظم هؤلاء النازحين أو نسبة كبيرة منهم هم من العاملين في القطاع الزراعي و. لا من الجدير بالذكر بأن القطاع الزراعي مهم لماذا نتحدث عنه؟ لأنه يشكل فرصة أو كان يشكل فرصة كبيرة للعمل وللدخل وأيضاً لتأمين الأمن الغذائي. بعد 2011 نتيجة هذه الظروف وكل هذه العوامل تحول القطاع الزراعي. من الاكتفاء الذاتي إلى أنه غير قادر على إنتاج كميات كافية من الغذاء للسوريين وحسب الأحصاءات الأخيرة فإن هناك أكثر من 12 مليون سوري هم غير مؤمنين غذائيا لكن من ناحية أخرى أيضا فإن النزوح كما ذكرت زميلتي آن قبل قليل أضاف فرصة للتبادل بين الخبرات بين المداريين وبين السوريين بشكل عام من مناطق مختلفة، وبالتالي كانت فرصة بالنسبة لهم لتطوير هذه الخبرات أو اكتساب خبرات جديدة. وأيضا الاعتماد على هذه الخبرات وهذا التراث من أجل البقاء على قيد الحياة أو من أجل إنتاج الاستمرار في إنتاج الغذاء وتأمين الدخل وبالتالي تحسين ظروفهم المعيشية كل هذه كانت أو مكنت السوريين كما ذكرت من اكتساب على سبيل المثال تقنيات جديدة سواء كان في داخل سوريا من خلال the case of أو من خلال take في case of the case of the case of the case of the case of the case of the case of the case of the case of the الجولات الميدانية والزيارات والمقابلات ووشات العمل فوجدنا بأن السوريين بشكل عام إما أن يعملوا بشكل يومي كعمال زراعيين في الحقول في تركيا أو بأنهم يقودون بعض هذه المزارع كعمال أساسيين أيضاً لعبوا دوراً كبيراً من خلال الوساطة في بعض العمليات التسويقية وإنشاء شركات زراعية أو شركات خاصة لهم أو العمل في التجاره التجارة وبالتالي أيضاً ساهموا في تعزيز سلسلة الغذاء وسلسلة الأمن الغذائي. أيضاً معظمهم وكما هو العادة يعني يعملوا أو عملوا في إنتاج الخضار ولا سيما الخضار التي تلبي احتياجات السوريين المنازحين أو الموجودين في تركيا أيضاً قاموا بتأسيس بعض المزارع الحديثة التي تحتوي على البيوت المحلية و. أيضاً فيما يتعلق بتربية الثروه الحيوانية والمناحل وإنتاج القطر أو إنتاج نباتات الزينة وهنا أذكر أحد السوريين الذي قدم من دمشق واعتمد على خبرته التي نقلها معه وبالتالي أسس منشاه زراعية ناجحة في تركيا في أضانة لإنتاج نباتات الزينة ايضا يعني بعض النشاطات كانت لتاسيس مزارع حديثه كانتاج وتربيه الورده الدمشقيه المشهوره والتي هي جزء كبير وتعني الكثير للسوريين بالاضافه الى مخابر عاليه التقنيه وهنا نلاحظ هذا التنوع يعني بدءا من الخبرات البسيطه والمهارات البسيطه التي جلبها معها أو حملها معها السوريين إلى الخبرات العالية أيضا وجدنا بحالة متطورة من إنشاء بعض الجمعيات التعاونية لتصنيع الغذاء أو حتى منتجات أخرى في الريحانية كل هذه النشاطات ساهمت حقيقة بشكل كبير في توليد دخل لهؤلاء الأسر وللعاملين أيضا الاستمرار في ممارسة العمل الزراعي ولعلني أذكر هنا الكثير من المزارعين الذين تقيناهم كانوا سعداء جدا ومجرد أنهم حافظوا على عملهم الزراعي واستمروا في العمل في الزراع الذي يشكل جزء كبير من هويتهم أيضا كان له دور كبير في صحتهم النفسية لمجرد أنهم يعملون في العمل الزراعي ويمارس ما تعلموه أيضا تعلموا خبرات جديدة وكما ذكرت ساهموا في سلاسل الغذاء والتزويد الغذائي والأمن الغذائي وبالتالي كان لهم دور كبير في التنمية والزراعية وتطور الإنتاج الزراعي في تركيا والذي نأمل أيضا أن يحملوا معهم هذه الخبرات عندما يعودوا إلى سوريا في القريب العاجل من بعض التوصيات التي يمكن أن نخرج بها من هذا المشروع فعلى سبيل المثال نذكر الاهتمام أكثر في موضوع الدعم المشاريع the والتدريبات and the الأجل بحيث the السوريين والمزارعين the في and من تأسيس and الخاصة. أيضا الاعتماد على التدريبات ليس فقط من أجل المهارات data وإنما قد تكون the أخرى. ك اللغة، التعلم، اللغة هي وسيلة للتواصل والاندماج مع أفرانهم من المدرسين والمجتمع أيضا التركي أو كتدريبات لها تتعلق حول التمويل والإداره وما شابه ذلك أيضا وجدنا عامل مهم جدا لتحسين وصول السوريين للالأراضي و. أيضا الأسواق والحصول على الدعم المالي أو القروب المالية أيضا دعم المبادرات التي يقودها سوريا المبادرات الزراعيه مثل الجمعيات التعاونية والشركات وما إلى ذلك أيضا من الأمور المهمة يتم تحسين التواصل ما بين العمال الزراعيين و وأيضاً أصحاب العمل في تركيا من خلال إنشاء منصة لتبادل الخبرات على يمين الصورة نلاحظ يعني وجبة أو تقليدية للسوريين نسميها المحمرة مع زيت الزيتون أردت من خلال هذه الصورة إشارة لأن هذه هذا النشاط البسيط يكاد يكون معروف في كل بيت سوري وعند تحضير هذه الوجبة لا تجتمع الأسرة فحسب وإنما أيضا الجيران وبالتالي هي كانت وسيلة للتواصل والاندماج المجتمعي بشكل كبير هذه الوجبة وهذه المهارة يحملها السوريين أينما ذهبوا ولذلك أن بشكل كبير
2: uh,
0: Thank you very much, Dr. Shaheer. So now that Shaheer has spoken a bit more about the economic sides of Syrian agriculture, um, we're now moving on to the cultural dimension of Syrian agricultural production. And I'm passing the mic to Mr. Hami Akhabar again. Thank you so much, Dello, again.
2: So can you see my presentation? Okay. Uh, so I will start with, with uh,
5: like saying, wh- what is the intangible cultural heritage mean? Uh, the intangible cultural heritage as in Isco, is all practices, uh, expressions, uh, knowledge and skills uh, transferred from the old generations, including uh, oral traditions, expressions, uh, including language, uh, performing arts, social practices, rituals, uh, festivals, and traditional crafts. So, according to UNESCO, the cultural the cultural heritage. Uh, provide people affected by conflict uh, sense of identity and belonging, and also uh, promote the, uh, the the mutual appreciation of the cultural diversity, which is lead to uh, promoting dialogues, understanding, reconciliation, and also peace. But the mass displacements caused by the wars or conflicts affects directly the intangible or the cultural heritage in general Um, by affecting like or increasing the the threats and uh, the opportunity to lose this uh, cultural heritage. Uh, Because when people like migrants or uh, displaced uh, moving from place to another uh, they lose a lot of their traditional ceremonies, rituals uh, specifically the rituals or the ceremonies related to the places, their places Uh, and also the migrations or the, the, the displacement itself interrupts their continuity with this, like practicing these uh, rituals and ceremonies. Uh, this, actually, this situation applied on Syria after uh, 2011. Uh, now there is like more than eight million Syrians outside Syria and distributed in more than like 10 countries. And also the, the around sixteen million Syrians inside Syria, but they are distributed in different controlled authorities uh, regions. so they still have uh, borders, I mean, between Syrians, even inside Syria. Uh, not just the the the uh, the borders i mean between the the countries uh, but also ideological political uh, gaps and also cultural gaps caused by
2: internal dis- internal displacements and migrations so the the the cultural heritage it's it's a, a, a
5: are products of of the place, time and people. And the people continuing always uh, like promoting their culture and producing their culture and updating their culture. But the most important dimension in the the intangible or the cultural heritage is the human uh, dimension. Which has affected the the, the sustainable devel- development. So through Field Songs projects, uh, as I mentioned before, uh, for three keywords, we try uh, with, with our partners to apply these three keywords on the, the, the, the work method of this project by documenting the the intangible cultural heritage through uh documenting uh songs agricultural songs or field songs and also the traditions and the stories behind these songs uh also not just in the aim of documenting the songs in different form digital form uh, also to to to like gathering Syrians to interact with this intangible heritage and to interact with each other through conducting workshops, as Anne mentioned uh, in Gaziantep, gathering Syrian musicians and farmers to relink them with their history and their heritage. Uh, through singing together telling stories or sharing stories between different or from different regions and not just to in the aim of interaction uh, also to transfer the knowledge we we document the the intangible cultural heritage to transfer the knowledge between the old generations and the new generations specifically outside syria To empower the new generations through using their heritage and their culture and their history. So, through this project, we document or we recorded more than uh, 20 songs. We collected these songs from northern Syria. And also, uh, we produced two uh short videos uh, including uh, songs from from the fields and also some traditions of the uh, agricultural works also uh, this video is recorded inside syria and also we conducted uh, two workshops as i mentioned gathering syria uh, music syrian musicians with the farmers And also we produced a a documentary film uh, to to show the stories behind these traditions and the the, the feelings uh, behind these traditions and heritage. You can also check all, some of the songs on the on the and
2: on uh, uh, nota uh, social media pages i finally, just I
5: want to mention like the the the the cultural heritage or the importance of the cultural cultural heritage, which is like shows in the influence of the the cultural heritage on sustainable development on, on different levels and economic levels social environments and also uh, even like according to to UNESCO studies and reports the intangible cultural heritage uh, through promoting dialogues uh, between the community and uh, uh, the appreciation of diversity, uh, making the, the the the the return of refugees uh, faster, and promoting the social cohesion faster than the normal situation. Specifically, when we are talking about the conflict periods, uh, such as
2: Syria. So. Thank you again. And and the mic is yours.
0: Thank you very much, Rami. Um, and now to our final speaker for the webinar, Professor Lisa Boden, who will bring together these different strands, the economic side and the cultural side of Syrian agriculture together within the umbrella of a One Health Field framework. So Lisa, the floor is yours. Thanks, and can
1: you hear me okay? And can you see the full slide? Okay, that's great. Um, well, thanks a lot for the opportunity to kind of come back and um, and to try to summarize some of the outcomes of this um, of this piece of work, but also in the context of this wider framework. And I and the the way that this presentation is structured um, is to highlight some key. Uh, things that I think have been picked out by uh, the previous speakers before me and then to try to then uh, think about them in the context of sort of a number of different contradictions um, as tempting as it might be to try to Summarize something in terms of concrete policy outcomes, which is what people like to do or what, what could be desirable It's really important to sort of unearth some of the tensions um, that uh, That are raised when thinking about decision-making and so the starting question um, For uh, ourselves and also for the audience that um, that's online is why why does culture matter And why is it important that we make consideration about intangible cultural heritage and try to link that with decision making around food security, which is something which is potentially highly technical um, and then and and more broadly uh, towards sustainable development, something that is um, what one hopes is quite measurable. And that's the starting question I and and in this presentation I guess I'm, when I get to the questions what I hope that we will provoke is a bit of a discussion and I will invite um, once I come through this uh, just people to kind of try and contribute within the panel but also then um, with the wider audience as well. So that's our starting question um, and if we just go back uh, uh, to the idea of the One Health um, Field Network and situate this project as I did in the beginning of understanding why linking to the past is important important for the present and understanding the long term future Um, the reason for including this slide again um, is just to highlight that um, what we're trying to do is not just think about some of the technical um, important um, implications of when we're thinking about food security and agriculture but we're also as Rami pointed out trying to understand if you like that felt experience the emotional um, well-being of people in that context uh, which is at the nexus, if you like, of a humanitarian crisis, um, as well as trying to address different types of agendas around sustainability and also security when it comes to thinking about health and well-being. So uh, this project, um, we, you know, you've heard now uh, a few times about about the the premise, but really the starting point for us, as Anne pointed out, was. Uh, And the starting question was How does refugee uh, um, intangible cultural heritage inform short and long term development policies in Middle Eastern host countries, but also in Syria? Um, And our answer to that hypothesis or or, or, our proposal there was that if we could find a way to think about traditional harvesting songs and in particular other forms of knowledge, um, that by recording them and and if you like making the intangible tangible or at least visible, um, that's a way of really tapping into our embodied communal and perhaps so, so far unwritten agricultural knowledge that isn't normally included in policymaker and humanitarian um, intervention plans. It's, it's more challenging to include in those decision-making pathways often, um, and uh, but still quite an important component part of how we think about decision-making, whose decisions they may be, and, and what voices are heard or not heard in those cases. So. Um, and it's also important, I just wanted to take the moment just to say, it's important to think too about um, this, uh, the, the One Health Field Network and, and um, the groups that we were working with. We're very reflective on the fact that, um, of course, we're working on a project in a particular area, but we're reflective of the, of the culture that we bring into the project. Um, the intangible uh, uh, culture that, that is part of that framing of this particular research question. But our starting point collectively is to think that that perhaps there are prioritization of certain research cultures or disciplinary cultures or organizational cultures over other types. So, for example, um, thinking about different forms of knowledge um, which gets prioritized over others. And that, if we look back at at why that might happen um, in terms of, again, at this nexus of the security, sustainability, and humanitarian agendas, I believe it really reflects the, perhaps, um, one might argue, inadequate inclusion of certain types of disciplines, so the social sciences and humanities disciplines, um, which in doing so, reinforce our understandings, our norms and our practices, which might have a huge impact actually on the successful implementation of One Health policies. So what I'm really saying here is that multidisciplinarity and ultimately, hopefully transdisciplinarity is important when trying to frame problems um, and trying to find solutions. And this Field um, Songs project is really trying to answer that question of how do you bring in that type of um, if you like, intangible cultural heritage into that decision-making forum where it so far perhaps isn't um, potentially that visible. And as I mentioned already in that first slide, um, recognizing too that the heritage that we bring in, um, our own ideas and our practices, and the voices that are around the table when we frame those questions, whether or not it's a research question as we did in this particular um, project, or if we're talking about really applied work on the ground as a humanitarian question, or um, the way we frame that problem really reinforces Um, what we think are values that are worth protecting, um, how we quantify and protect those positive values and the ends and in terms of what we think collectively makes for a positive experience that is a healthy life or if we want to tag this and and align it to the sustainable development goals how we make for a better um, better lives and livelihoods how we eradicate poverty how we ensure equity um, as an ultimate outcome that underpins and is essential to health and well-being so that's the starting point Um, The field songs project was a very interesting project um, because it brought together uh, quite a number of different groups um, who come from different disciplinary backgrounds, as I said, so as Anne mentioned in the beginning, my original disciplinary background um, is as a a veterinary epidemiologist and public health specialist. Um, But I'm coming together and working with a big team of ethnographers and, um, and other people. Um, who are taking different ways of, of thinking about this problem and really coming to the conclusion that cultural heritage of displaced communities can be the basis for collective actions for an innovative approach to sustainable development. There are three slides that I want to, um, that I want to uh, put forward now um, that pose um, inside the idea of a policy outcome the idea that there are perhaps contradictions and tensions that are occurring when thinking about those policy outcomes. And I'm putting them forward to you as propositions really for discussion that we can pick up on um, and your discussion informs the evolution of that um, conversation that we're having um, inside this project. The the first question is whose narrative is this? Um, when we're thinking about turning uh, intangible cultural heritage into tangible cultural heritage, or in in um, in other words, turning something um, into an asset that has value, um, which otherwise would not necessarily have been um, uh, realized as such. So from a humanitarian actor's perspective, perhaps um, the narrative is, um, and often is, that refugees, in particular displaced persons, should be enabled to expand their skills and knowledge in host countries so that they can then benefit from transferable knowledge upon their return at some point in the future, whether it's short or long term, when they return back to Syria. But the the tension with that and, if you like, the other side of that conversation is really the recognition that we come to in this project that knowledge transfer must be bi-directional, that refugees and and, um, displaced people bring their own expertise to host countries in the field of agriculture, of course, in the context of this process, but also elsewhere. And why is that important? Um, uh, It's important from a decision-making perspective because we need to think really about the next question whose values. It's clear that agricultural practices and traditions are part of Syria's intangible and, and I would argue, tangible cultural heritage. Um, but as I said in the first slide, the question is when certain cultures of expertise and knowledge are privileged over others in decision making, um, what it might lead to Um, that is the inclusion or exclusion of certain types of knowledge will influence inevitably the types of decisions that are prioritized and where investments are made. And if I could make that real, I suppose in the best case scenario, um, in the best case scenario, it shines a light onto a pathway towards sustainable development. But if we are privileging, for example, certain types of uh, an evidence base um, which promotes quantifiable outcomes, which promotes uh, highly technical um, background and expertise, which is absolutely essential. Um, In the worst case scenario, it might uh, result in perpetuating some inequities which were there from the beginning, which never become resolved. We can talk about that in a moment. But um, what's important here is that we need to think about, when we're talking about policy outcomes, um, what are the outcomes that are important and to whom? and who gets to decide on what they are. And if we flip to the bottom of that slide, I think that even though it's at the bottom of the slide, where I want to start with is that um, Syrians need to be at the center of their own conversations around their One Health outcomes. So this is, of course, a a global and international project, and I'm involved in that project, but Syrians um, are the ones that need to be at the center of that conversation. And that their intangible cultural heritage is relating to sustainable development makes us realize that we need to think about what those outcomes are in terms of health so um, thinking about moving not just. Um, thinking about, for example, physical health and the presence or absence of disease or the ability, if you like, to be healthy enough to work, but also thinking about mental health, as Rami pointed out as a par- as part of a comprehensive one health approach. And similarly, there are other potentially competing outcomes that might not necessarily go well with that. For example, if we look at outcomes around economics and livelihoods um, and thinking about how we move people into work, um, recognizing, of course, that uh, farmers and farm workers make an important contribution to building sustainable livelihoods in host countries like Turkey, but also recognizing that, that the way we work and the forms of work are important considerations too. Um, And in the middle two bullet points, I I skipped around there, um, is is thinking about how intangible cultural heritage is really critical in terms of building social cohesion amongst displaced uh, communities and with host communities. And the starting point of uh, the One Health Field Network project, um, of this project and others, that food security itself is an important and very tangible and concrete um, result. So I'm going to just pause there. That was very brief. I think it's important to leave some space here for uh, discussion. I think what I might do, and because I can't see the chat, so I'm going to stop sharing for now and then uh, look because I know that I could see some questions that were coming up um, potentially t- through the chat box. Um, but I'd like to open it up now to the attendees. Perhaps if we can take um, some of those tensions, and we can start with those tensions first and then move more broadly to other questions about the project, um, either the logistics of the project, the intention of the project, and if you have anything that you want to ask, um, we can take it from there. But let's start with some of those tensions. Now, I can't, I I realize I'm not sure that I can see the questions or the raised hands, but let me try and and, uh, move to participants to see if I can see
0: that. Lisa, I think we have one raised hand from Mohammed Al Ashma. Okay. So, Mohammed Al Ashma, if you would like to use the chat or if you if you can put on your microphone, then please ask your question or provide your feedback in whatever language um, works best for you.
1: Thanks, Mohammed. I
0: think you're okay. Perfect. Hi, hi, everyone. Thank you for your presentation. Very fascinating. Very amazing. I'm just curious about um, uh, if this heritage or culture is only limited to, or you think? I mean, uh, I'm just thinking about this uh, is limited to agriculture or also other um, uh, other cultural. Uh, aspects of the Syrian IDPs and refugees, uh, like uh, handicrafts, other, um, other areas or other um, uh, skills that they are bringing or developing or bringing with them or preserving. Uh, uh, or it's only limited to, to these rural communities and their agriculture practices. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much for the question. Um, perhaps, I, per, perhaps what I might do is to to bring that question into the larger group. Um, I have an opinion on this, but I think I would just like the larger group. Does anyone t- want to take that? Rami, do you want to start?
5: Yes, thank you, Lisa, and thanks, Mohammed, for for the question. Uh, actually, the the the cultural heritage, uh, the tangible or intangible cultural heritage. Uh, related and linked to each uh, single aspect in our life. Uh, starting from our traditions uh, at homes uh, to, uh, to our works, uh, crafts, as you mentioned, uh, handicrafts, uh, art uh, music, uh, dances, uh, the the rituals, the traditions, uh, our foods, drinks, everything, uh, actually considered as uh, intangible cultural heritage. So our way to to to uh, to celebrate uh, in Eid. As example, uh, the Adhaid or the Eid uh, or another uh, religion or religious or non-religious uh, celebrations, all of them uh, considered as intangible cultural heritage. And all of them needs to be uh, preserved, needs to be protected, needs to be um, not just like I will not say archived, just because it's uh, the idea of archive. Uh, even if in the in the digital uh, era, it's that we have different kinds of archives uh, than the, the before uh, digital archives. Uh, but I will not mention just archive because uh, you need to to protect or to preserve the intangible heritage, you need to keep uh, practicing this heritage. And this is the most important point in preserving or safeguarding the, the, the intangible heritage, uh, to keep practicing and to transfer this knowledge, at the end it's knowledge, uh, to transfer this knowledge for for new generations, specifically in the Syrian situation, um the the the the new generations they don't have uh they couldn't like build uh, or practice their own identity so the importance of of intangible cultural heritage came from these points like uh, the importance of, of Transferring knowledge to our new generations, keep practicing the the, the intangible cultural heritage, uh, because this is this practicing giving us the feelings of
2: belonging to uh, Syrian community or belonging to Syria. Thank you.
1: Thanks, uh, Rami. That was such a thoughtful comment and such an important comment about um, uh, the the need to continue to practice heritage as part of defining what heritage is, and recognition that that um, heritage also is evolving um, as it's going. It's such a um, such an important point to make. Um, I think Anne wants to come in with a with a point here, and then I'd also like to bring in um, Shaher afterwards if you have um, some feelings about that.
0: Anne. Yeah, Mohammed, I think that is an excellent question. And as Rami already said, I think we approached agricultural heritage in the broadest sense, including also um, also handicraft. Um, and I think I just wanted to everything that Rami just said, um, if 100% true. And I just wanted to give some more examples of what we also saw during field work, during data collection. You see, I think we all. Um realized very quickly that if you wanted to understand aquaculture, you could not just look at what's happening in the field or in the orchard or in the greenhouse. You also have to look at what's happening inside people's homes, right? Because homes are always and families are connected to agricultural production. And that includes handicraft in the commercial sense. So things that farmers' families used to produce so they could sell it, but also non-commercial handicraft. So in particular, what the women at home used to produce. And I already said earlier, Syrian women have always played an important role in Syrian agriculture as workers in agriculture, but also because they kept the home life going. And because they provided so much unpaid domestic labor and just to give you two examples of practices that still continue in Turkey among Syrians until today. Um, One is basket weaving. So that is something that a lot of Syrian agricultural women used to do before 2011 and that they still know now. And these baskets are made of agricultural products and they used to store food inside the home. Um, the other tradition that's still very much alive is dressmaking, so a lot of um, the older generation of ladies told us that in the old days, in the evenings, they would work, they would embroider their own dresses, often before they got married. And some of the women have brought these dresses with them to Turkey, and they still cherish them, and they have them in their homes, and are attempts at reviving these embroidery traditions. So just to say that, yes, absolutely, when we talk about agricultural heritage... We don't just look at what's happening in the field, we also look at what's happening inside people's homes and it includes all kinds of practices. Thanks, Anne,
1: and and also an important point there, I think coming up about um, heritage as an entry point into understanding different roles um, within households in terms of between men and women um, and between older generations and younger generations um, and thinking about what that means in terms of the formation, if you like, of a community. Um, may I bring in Shahar? Do you have any thoughts, or Esra, that you might want to add to um, around this idea, around just leading from Mohammed's question around the importance, perhaps, of the heritage being linked to agriculture and food security, or the broader context of heritage? <laughs>
2: سؤال
3: مهم جدا حقيقه نحن ننظر الى التراث الزراعي كجزء من التراث العام للمجتمع السوري والذي لا يتجزا ولا ينفصل عنه ولعل التركيز في هذا البحث على التراث الزراعي نظرا لتوجه البحث بهذا الاتجاه وكونه كما ذكرت زميلتي يعني جزء من سلسله لبحث سابق بدأ في مستقبل الجراعة والأمن الغذائي في سوريا بالتأكيد التراث الزراعي عندما تحدثنا عنه كوسيلة ساعدة العديد من السوريين سواء كان داخل سوريا أو خارج سوريا في ظل هذا النزاع ليس فقط ل لي النجاة لحياتهم أو تأمين فرص عمل وإنما أيضاً للاستمرار للإنتاج الزراعي يعني لعلّك تعلم بأنه الإنتاج الزراعي أو العمل في القطاع الزراعي كجزء من الهوية الثقافية السورية ولمسنا العديد من الأمثلة كما ذكرنا على سبيل المثال بعض النساء اللواتي يعملنا في تصنيع الغذاء على الرغم من أنها ليست المهنة الرئيسية لهن يعني بعضهن مهندسات أو معلمات أو يعملنا في مهن أخرى لكن في ظل هذه الأزمة في ظل هذا الصراع فتم العودة إلى هذا التراث واستخدامه ل بشكل بسيط لتامين وسيلة يعني تامين دخل ايضا على سبيل المثال كما ذكرنا بان انتاج الخضار لاكثر من مزارع حقيقه في الرحاميه وفي اورفا ايضا يعني لم تكن المهنه الرئيسيه لهم لكن كان المحفز هو التراث التراث الاستهلاكي للغذاء واعتماد السوريين على بعض الخضار مثل الباذنجان او يعني الباميه او ما الى ذلك بمعنى اخر ان التراث شكل فرصه لهؤلاء لكي يعملوا في هذا الاتجاه وبالتالي يؤمنوا احتياجات شريحه واسعه من السوريين تعتمد في تراثها في عاداتها على منتجات خاصة لم تكن متوفره في السوق التركي او حتى يعني لدينا امثله في المانيا وفي اوروبا نجد الكثير من الأشخاص الذين عملوا في هذا المجال بالاعتماد على ما تعلموه من عبر السنوات الطويلة أو الأجيال. دعني أقول أيضا بأن تربية النحل على سبيل المثال هي إحدى الحالات التي زرناها في غازي عنتاب. المربي النحل الذي كان يعمل أو يعمل حالياً في تربية النحل لم تكن أيضاً مهمته أو مهنته الرئيسية لكنها مهنة تعلمها من آبائه وأزاده وحقيقة هنا أود أن ننوّل أن تربية النحل في سلوية عموماً تعتبر مهنة شعبية يعني لا توجد مراكز أو شركات كبيرة متخصصه فيها وإنما هي مهنة تنتقل من الآباء الى الابناء وهكذا فاذا نعم التراث الزراعي عندما تحدثنا عنه فلاهليته كجزء من التراث السوري بشكل عام وجزء من الهويه اود ان على نقطه مهمة اذا اخرى وهذا من خلال ايضا الجولات الحقليه التي عملناها وزرنا العديد من المزارعين أو السوريين بشكل الذين كانوا سعداء في حصولهم على فرصة للعمل وبالتالي الاستمرار في ممارسة العمل الزراعي الذي يعطيهم دفع نفسي وتحسين الحالة الصحية وأيضا كان وسيلة للاندماج في المجتمع من خلال العمل في المزارع أو تأسيس بعض الأعمال الزراعية والاقتصادية إلى آخره. فأعتقد يعني من الناحية انصح التعبير العملية فكانت العودة إلى التراث الزراعي وسيلة مهمة للاستمرار ولتحسين معيشه شريحه واسعه من السوريين في تركيا وفي اليونيا وفي دول الجوار ايضا وايضا فرصه للاستمرار في الحفاظ على هذا التراث عندما تعمل في تستمر في ممارسه هذه النشاطات ولذلك يعني كانت احد التوصيات هو تمكين السوريين من ممارسة وتطبيق هذا التراث كوسيله ايضا للحفاظ عليه شكرا لك واتمنى ان نكون قد اجبت على الصوره
1: Thank you so much, Shahar. It's always good to get your insights into this, um, and particularly because I suppose for the audience um, it will be interesting to see this marriage, if you like, between agricultural specialists, which are highly technical specialists, with um, thinking about art and culture in a way that I think is quite novel. It brings together, if you like, a new dimension into which I, I, I I hope um, is being conveyed as part of this project, um, an innovative way to think about um, the kinds of decisions that, or the kinds of um, evidence base, if you like, that we might need to start to pull together in order to be able to start making important decisions um, or uh, important considerations towards a pathway towards the future. Um, So thank you so much for those insights. Esra, I just want to make sure that you have an opportunity, um, no need if you don't want to, but would you like to offer any additional insights into this idea of heritage and cultural heritage as either part of or more wider than agricultural um, cultural heritage?
4: أنا ليزا شكرا لك وشكرا لكل الموجودين معنا حابة أوضح شغلة الأستاذ محمود أنه أنت بتعرف إحنا بطبيعتنا زراعيين كأرض زراعية فأي حرفة أخرى عم تجي من الزراعة إذا بدنا نقول آه مثلا آه على سبيل المثال على سبيل المثال ان صناعة الاهليه بدها تجي من الجلد اللي هو عن طريق تربيه ال- ان الاغنام والماعز والابقار فاي حرفه بدنا نستخدمها نوه لها رح نكون ناتي للزراعه ال من خلال مشاركاتنا وجولاتنا الميدانية طبعا كان في كثير من المشاركات صلّت الضوء على قديمة لما كانوا مساءا مثلا شو بيعملوا مساءا يعني لما بدهن يجتمعوا كبنات والكبار السن فهما إما بينسجوا من منتجات الحيوانية من الصوف او هاي بيعملوا المخدات والفراش والهاي هو هذا مورود زراعي عندنا يعني ما في بيت سوري ما كان سابقا احنا بنسميه الفراش هذا شيء ورث يعني لازم نفوت ونشوف الفراش محطوط عندنا يمكن هذا شيء تقليدي اي بيت سوري موجود عنده بتلاقي دائما الحصير المنتجات من القش من سعف النخيل هاي موجودة بأي بيت موجود سوري يمكن كان كثير شد انتباهي انه هذا هذا التراث قام يندسر قام يتجلى بعض الشيء يمكن هذا البحث انا بعض المشاركين اللي كانوا معنا انه فكرة ايه بالفعل انه احنا كنا هذا وابائنا واجدادنا يحكوننا احنا ما قمنا نحكي له اولادنا يمكن مشاغل الحياه بتركيا صعوباتها ما جعلت هالموضوع قريب لذهن المشاركين بالفعل توسعت الرؤية بعض المشاركين كان عندهم انه يا ريت حتى يكون في توزيع مثل البروشورات للمدارس باللغات مختلفة للتنويه للتراث خلينا نقول التراث العام السوري بعض المشاركات اقترحت بالفعل فكره حلوة وهي منفذه بالريحانيه هو ما بدي اعمل دعايه عنه هو المركز بيت المنا هم عبارة عن تجمع ذكر الدكتور شهر ليس فقط انه هم زوجات شهداء او اي هم مهندسات ودكتورات تجمعوا وبدوا يطلعوا بفكرة ليحاولوا يعطوا فرص عمل لنساء أخريات فطلعت الفكرة ليس فقط أنه راح نعمل من منتجات زراعية لا، النقش على الخشب، حرق الخشب، منتجات من القش نسج الصوف هذا بقى قاموا ببعه وسبب انه لهم مردود اقتصادي يعني فائده اقتصادي لعوائلهم هذا الشيء ممكن عم يطرح الفكرة الجاية أنه إحنا شلون نحافظ على تراثنا السوري بالبلاد اللي جو شلون ممكن نوثق هذا التراث شلون لازم نعطي الهوية السورية ببلاد اللي جو البصمة. خلينا نقول بصمة ببلد اللي جو أنا بعترف أنه كثير من السوريين أعطوا بصمتهم بالمهارات اللي يمتلكونها سواء كانت زراعية صناعية حرفية علمية احنا شفنا بأرفع معمل قائم على الأبحاث العلمية اللي هي الزراعة المائية انتاج الفطر انتاج الفطر المحاري عبارة عن مهندسين زراعيين سوريين فهي كلها التجمع احنا شلون بدنا نقوم البصمة بدولة اللجوء اللي احنا فيها اتصور هاي مهمتنا احنا نوصل صوت اللاجئين السوريين ونضع بصمة لتراثنا بأي دولة نكون فيها أتمنى أكون وضحت الصورة لحضرتك وأتمنى تطلع بالفعل على الفيلم هو لا يعكس فقط تراث الأغاني السورية هو يعكس ويعطي بصمة الإنسان السوري ببلاد اللجوء
0: Thank you all. Thank you very much for your answer. Thank,
4: Thank
1: you so much, Esra. Um, such a nice um, comment and um and and such an important way um, of kind of trying to round out that discussion. So I really appreciate those insights. And I suppose um, at the end of um, uh, those comments, uh, one of the things that I was reflecting on as everybody was speaking is just how important this is to a sense of identity, um, which um, in terms of displacement is so critical um, as uh, you're moving either from within Syria or to other places, what you are creating and taking with you um, in in, in times where it's not necessarily so clear um, how the future might unfold, if you like. I want to bring in next, um, if we can, um, and if it's possible, uh, Carol Palmer, who's actually our host for this session. Um, So I'm so grateful that she can be here, but she's put a a really important comment in the chat box, and I'm not sure if everybody can see it. So what I'm going to do while we're trying to get Carol um, uh, to kind of uh, be able to hopefully contribute verbally is just to sort of reiterate her comment for um, everybody in the webinar and maybe we can gauge some reactions um, while we get Carol um, on board, but her point, and I thought, um, which was great, which was developing from some of the conversations we had is that, um, that The idea of thinking about culture holistically um, uh, as, if you like, a source of knowledge and the depth of knowledge that is there is important consideration, particularly in these decision makings. So, um, her comment is, um, so it's about what it's like to be close to the land and experience it day by day. The key difference is um, that the Falheen work to be risk averse and preserve those networks and work day by day within the context of their environment. So, in other words, very sensitive uh, to their environment, whereas this contradiction and potentially big tension is um, that uh, modern economies are really trying to skill up people in order to be able to maximize pr- um, production and perhaps might be less sensitive to the environmental variability or family-based nature of knowledge and practice um, are we able to get carol uh, carol would you um i've
6: just reiterated what you said but I, yes we can hear you thank you um... Thank you. Uh, I'm sorry I wasn't able to uh, to join as uh, as the host. Um, I have two hats. One is as the director of CBRL, and um, and thank you to you for uh, for um, giving CBRL the opportunity to. Sorry, I've been messaged as well. For giving CBRL the the, the the opportunity to be host for for this. But I think as many people may know me, actually, my, my specialism is um, as an ethnographer and particularly of uh, Hayat al-Falahin, of the life of the fellahin and, uh, and Bedouin. And I had the privilege some years ago to, to live with people in northern Jordan and also subsequently work with other communities and, uh, and really to yes, value this knowledge, but to to see this um, contradiction, thank you for reading out what I (laughs) wrote, to see this contradiction in how can we, how can we get these two worlds to meet? So we have um, a traditional life, um, for want of a better word, traditional, which this literally thousands of years of knowledge, Um, and working with this highly uh, vulnerable environment that is the Levant, how can we, um, and working with primarily um, practice-based and oral culture, how can we um, sort of use that knowledge um, as the basis for moving forward to produce food, um, to have food sovereignty, but also to work in a contemporary world where a lot of the the crops have changed, it's moved over more to cash cropping, life is more expensive. (laughs) Um, There are certain constraints and also moving from a world that's primarily oral, which is the songs element of it so much as, maintained through the songs, the work songs, um, which, uh, which can be amended, but su- substantially say the, stay the same, and a sort of written culture that we have of uh, modern humanitarian intervention, where um, it's hard to put this life into a Gantt chart. <laughs> um, and, uh, and this is what we, Depend upon for funding. So I'm again. I'm just posing the problem. Um, but and how to bring these um, together with flexibility and sensitivity to the to the um, needs, uh, the constraints of the structures that we operate in.
1: Thanks a lot, um, Carol. And I, I guess just to build off on that and, and um, a little bit, and then I might open it back out to the team um, for some comments, um, or to the audience if they have comments too. Um, is you know one of the questions I didn't articulate it particularly well inside some of those tensions is the idea that um, in order uh, to well the. Uh, I'm going to pose it as a question. It, you know, The idea that in order to be part of a decision-making pathway, that actually you have to valorize or make into an asset something that is intangible um, just in order to be able to participate. So that layer on top of the knowledge that's contained within that asset, but the idea of instrumentalizing that asset in order to be um, part of a decision-making framework in a humanitarian context or, or whatever um, is really what I was trying to get at in terms of um seeking to try and understand how um how as a whole we we try and think about uh, these things if that makes sense to you i don't know if it does but
6: yes absolutely it makes sense it's how to yeah make it tangible but somehow retain um some of the flexibility that um culture has yeah exactly um and
1: without instrumentalizing it um in a way that is um Ab- absolutely without instrumentalizing it as well and, yeah yeah exactly all right i just want we have a few minutes left, so i'd like to just invite people to reflect on carol's um uh, intervention there and maybe come to um some of the people in the panel unless there are other questions so um shahir Isra, rami and do you have any things that you want to kind of add to that um to that comment or some thoughts or reflections on what carol has has said there who would like to come in maybe
3: um rami you... uh, Lisa. Uh, yes uh, okay shahir, please thank you uh, يعني كنا نريد أو نحاول الإشارة إليه ضمن هذا الموضوع الكبير جداً والمتشعب حقيقةً أو اي فكرة بأن التراث الزراعي وأعذروني لأنني أتحدث عن التراث الزراعي فهذا هذا اختصاصي في ظل الازمات على سبيل المثال فان المزارع اكثر ما يفكر فيه هو النجاة هو الاستمرار في ارضه واستمرار عمله كما ذكرت ولا سيما الفلاحين و سعيد جدا بان اسمى هذا المصطلح الرائع لتصميم الفلاحين نعم ف وهذا ما ما ما نلمسه على أرض الواقع حقيقة في مثل هذه الظروف القاسية فلا يكون المزارع همه يعني تحقيق إنتاج عالي كبير أو ما شابه ذلك بقدر ما أن يعود إلى إرته وإلى ثقافته ليجيب على السؤال البسيط جداً كيف أستمر وكيف أبقى في الأرض وأستمر في الإنتاج على سبيل المثال نعم بدوات الإنتاج أصبحت غالية جداً وغير متوفرة والمزارة غير قادرة على ذلك فما هو الحل إذن تمت العودة إلى هذا الزراعي على سبيل المثال بعدم استخدام الأسيدة الكيميائية والعودة إلى استخدام الأسيدة الطبيعية أو استخدام طرق زراعيه بسيطة كان الاباء والاجداد يستخدمونها نظرا لعدم توفر الاله في الوقت الحالي وانا اتحدث هنا عن يعني الوضع في سوريا على سبيل المثال وكيف ساهم التراث الزراعي في نجاة القطاع الزراعي بشكل عام واستمرار انتاج الغذاء راينا الكثير من الأمثلة عن المزارعين ايضا غيروا اساليب الزراعه اختاروا محاصيل بسيطه لا تحتاج الى التكاليف طوروا من عمليات الحصاد بالاستقناء العاله والاله وتم العوده ايضا الى الطرق التقليديه في الحصاد وما شابه ذلك اذا بالنسبه لي يعني ارى ان تراث بشكل عام ساهم كما ذكرت سابقاً في الاستمرار سواء كان في إنتاج الغذاء أو حتى تصنيع واستهلاك الغذاء هناك العديد والكثير من الأمثلة في سوريا وخارج سوريا كيف تم العودة إلى ما تعلمه الناس من تصنيع الجبنه في سبيل المثال أو تصنيع بعض المنتجات كالمكدوس و وغيرها ك مصدر غلي جدا كان موجود في التراث وتم العوده اليه ولعلنا هنا عندما يعني نقول في سياسات التدخل خاصه التدخل الإنسانية ان تعود الى هذا الكنز الكبير ونحاول معا البحث عن كيفيه استخدامه و إدراجه في التدخلات الإنسانية على المدى القريب وعلى المدى البعيد بما يحقق الأمن الغذائي على مستوى الأسرة وعلى مستوى المجتمع أولاً وعلى المدى القصير أننا نتحدث أيضاً نريد حلول سريعة وبنفس الوقت أيضاً على المدى
2: المتوسط والمدى البعيد
1: Thank you, Shahar. Yeah, thank you so much um, uh, for your uh, reflection there. And then in the interest of time, I suppose, um, uh, of course, Carol, uh, welcome to come back on that if you would like. Um, And then I might throw to the rest of the panel for just a final word on the project or any element of this uh, conversation that you'd like to leave the audience with. Carol, do you have any thoughts on what Shahar had said, or or are we happy to?
6: Happy to get the feedback from the panel and the audience in light of time as well. Thanks a lot, Carol. Okay, right.
1: Well, I'm going to, um, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to come to each panel member really uh, um, separately, just for, um, if you like, a very succinct, um, quite brief, uh, final comment before we, we try to wrap up. So Rami, can I come to you first, please?
5: Thank you, Lisa. Actually, I don't have like uh, anything to add. Uh, I would like to thanks everyone for being with us today, um, and hope to see you like again in other projects uh, focusing on like like the the the Syrian heritage. Thank, Thank you so much. You.
1: Thank you so much, Rami. Um, okay, and Shaher, any final uh, brief words?
3: شكرا ليزا شكرا لكل المشاركين والمتحدثين اود ان اقول بانني تعلمت الكثير من خلال هذا المشروع واكتشفنا اكثر فاكثر الغنى التراث الذي نملكه كسوريين وكانت فرصه للاستماع الى وجهات نظر اخرى وايضا ثقافات اخرى من مناطق اخرى في سوريا نحن في سوريا كنا نجهل إلى حد ما بعضنا البعض لا بأس فيه من thank you شاهر Israel
1: Shukram
4: شكرا أعضاء فريق المشروع راح أبدأ من آخر قالها الدكتور شاهر إنه بالفعل كنا نجهل إحنا يمكن المشروع أعطى فكرة كاملة عن المحافظات السورية فكرة لقاءنا بالمزارعين واللقاء اللي كان شبه أخوي كان عفوي بيناتنا والزيارات الحقلية جعلتنا أسرة ريفية يعني رجعنا لاستابق يمكن أنا من دير الزور بالاساس نشتغل بالزراعه لكن ماني من اسره تعمل بالزراعه رجعتني لأصولي لأصول مدينتي لما عملت أحد المقابلات إنه دير الزور مجتهرة بمحصول معين وهذا انتقل التراث من دير الزور إلى تركيا فبتصور كان فكرة جميلة أنه أعطيناها كلنا كسوريين ببلاد اللجوء أنا بعتبر بأي دولة لجأ فيها اللاجئ السوري وضع بصمته ويمكن كان هذا المشروع إلو فيه بصمة إني أنا بدي أحافظ على هذا التراث عند ابني صرت أفكر شلون دائما أشرح له عن الهوية السورية وعن هويتنا وعن أمور اللي كنا نمارسها وإحنا صغار إلو بصمة فيني وإلو بصمة بتصور بكل سوري عايش بدولة لجوء ما ننسى إنه إحنا مزارعين منها من الأرض وإليها وعجبني فكرة مشروع كان بالريحانية منك وإليكي كان الاسم بحذاته أنه من, من الأسرة للأسرة فهذا تعبير كان جدا رائع شكراً للجميع وشكراً لكل جامعه أديمبرا طبعاً لأنه وليزا والكل شكراً لدوزان شكراً للجميع على أنه قمنا بعمل بتصور باعتقادي أنه عمل رائع Shukran Nisa
1: Ezra, thank you so much. That was such a poetic um, uh, uh, way of, of putting it. So thank you so much for uh, those words. We really appreciate it. I'm going to turn to Anne now, um, as somebody who was an architect of this project, um, really to kind of leave us with some final thoughts before I conclude, because I want to also say some thank you. So Anne, please.
0: Yeah, I don't have much to add. I just wanted to reiterate what Lisa said earlier in her presentation. This project was really an opportunity for us to center Syrian perspectives on farming and sustainable development. One thing we've seen in our research over the years is that a lot of development interventions in the field of agriculture, say when it comes to vocational training, when it comes to microcredit and so on, in the field of refugee labor more broadly, are still designed in a top-down manner and without taking into consideration the perspectives and the expertise of refugees themselves but what i hope we've been able to document is that the real experts in the room are the syrians it is the syrian farmers who have brought an immense tremendous amount of knowledge and practices to turkey and as you've heard a number of examples today syrian farmers in turkey have introduced new products such as molokhia and um, and aubergine and syrian style aubergine they have built entirely new supply chains they have brought new high-tech technologies. They have also brought low-tech forms of farming, which are particularly relevant when it comes to climate-proofing agriculture in the region, which we know is particularly affected by climate change and water scarcity. So just to reiterate that, um, to the address to policymakers and those who design development interventions, it's really an opportunity to take into account the expertise which is already there and which is held by Syrians themselves. On a final note, um just like Ezra, I love the all the different um, heritage initiatives that we encountered in the field, such as the Minki Elaki project that we saw in Rehanli. It's run by a small women cooperative right next to the Syrian border. And so if you, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot going on from within Syrian communities themselves. There are a lot of small level um, cultural heritage initiatives. So if you know of these, or if you're involved in these, um, it would be really cool to share them with us and link us up. We're always happy to learn about more initiatives in this field. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much, and um, uh, that's a great uh, conclusion. I think to what I hope has been a very interesting session. Um, I hope it's certainly from the project team's perspective. Um, it's been great uh, to have you join us um, online, and um, and of course that this will um, this has been recorded and available later for um, for viewing. Um, I uh, it's my duty, I think. Um, to, to, to really try to encapsulate my thank you and my gratitude. Um, first of all, um, to Dr. Carol Palmer, who's with us and who you heard from, who's the director of CBRL um, for hosting us in this session and giving this opportunity to try and disseminate some of the work we've been doing together, to share that with the community more widely and to engage in this type of participatory conversations. It's a real privilege to be able to do that um, and um, and one that we, um, are um, entirely grateful for um of course I want to thank everybody who has made such a significant contribution uh, to this work. Um, I mentioned Anne was an architect really of the project idea um, it's a really difficult project and uh, to try to bring together um, what are traditionally otherwise siloed expertise in the arts and humanities social sciences and and then um, bringing together as well the scientific perspectives so um, thanks very much to Anne who um, if you like us uh, down this um, path and and also helped um, facilitate some of these conversations my huge thanks goes uh, of course uh, to rami and his team at duzan Um, there are a huge number of people behind rami and his team who are in this workshop invisible um, but who are in, in, so, so important. Um, and of those who I just wanted to mention was uh, uh, Ahadi, Rowan, and Mohammed who um, have who played such a critical part um, of, of the conceptualization, the implementation, and the running of this project, and who I hope um, we will have an extended um, and sustained partner with, um, because the insights that come from that expertise in culture and heritage um, are really informing a lot of the ways that we choose to work as we move forward within the One Health um, uh, community. Um, I, of course, uh, Shahr and Isra, as part of uh, Syrian academic expertise, we've worked with each other for a really long time, and they're long-standing collaborators and friends with whom um, we wouldn't be able to do the work. And again, too, they have a huge team of people who are behind the scenes making sure that all of this works, and without their technical expertise, without their ability, um, and, and perhaps it, it, it hasn't come across in the film, but uh, Shaher and Isra did Um, a a huge amount of interviewing, Um, what are really difficult circumstances um, in the field and um, without them the documentary also wouldn't have been able to be formed. I'm gonna to come to Edinburgh next um, in a moment um, because there's a person who's on the call, um, Martine, who is joining us actually from Chile. Um, and he hasn't had a voice inside this workshop, but is an incredibly important part of the team too, because he's working um, behind the scenes in Edinburgh, although he's in Chile now, so on a completely different time zone than the rest of us. And we're so grateful, uh, Martine, that you are able to join and um, be part of this, such a, an important part of the community when we were overseas and working together um, in these conditions and we're so glad that um, uh, that you know that, that you know that you're part of this uh, um, work um, and, of course, I, I mentioned and um, but. And then in terms of this particular session, I do really want to thank um, all the people who made the Zoom platform happen um, and the interpreters who um, who have been working really hard with all the technical support in order to make sure that the translation was seamless. And I hope it it um, has been helpful for everybody to have that so that we can speak. Um, in Arabic and in English and in Turkish um, as necessary. So with that, I want to just um, say thank you again uh, to the participants who are online and who stayed with us for all the um, work and the um, the interest that you've shown and the curiosity. Um, there's an opportunity, I think, to be in touch with us via – if you want um, – either through any of the partners, through Design SAE, or through the One Health Field Network, there are are web links there. Um, And of course, be in touch with any individuals. We would love to hear back from you how this project um, has sort of uh, resounded with you and um, any reflections that you might have on this work or how we might take things forward. And with that, um, I'll close the session and say um, uh, thanks and uh, have a good day, good evening, uh, good afternoon. All right, thank you.